When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. And now, Rebecca Larson. Hi, I'm Rebecca Larson, and welcome to the Tudor's Dynasty Podcast. With this podcast, I share a variety of stories from the most well-known dynasty of them all, the Tudors. From simple stories about the people of the time to the drama that was the reign of Henry VIII. And, of course, politics. This show is presented to you commercial-free thanks to my wonderful patrons. If you'd like to help, you can do so by going to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tudor's Dynasty, and then click Become a Patron. For as little as a dollar per month, you can help keep this show commercial-free. A special thanks this week to my newest patrons, Angela G, Stacy C, and a special thank you to Lara L for increasing your pledge. Now, this week's episode is a fun one. I have a variety of topics I discuss, from Lettuce Knowles to Edward VI to Charles Brandon. Okay, here we go. Now, Donna wants to know if I could tell her a little bit more about Lettuce Knowles. Um, and that she had read somewhere that Lettuce's mother, Catherine Carey, could be the illegitimate daughter of Henry VIII. So, I'm going to try and answer this question for you, Donna. On the 4th of February, 1520, Mary Boleyn was married to William Carey, who was a gentleman in the privy chamber. At their wedding, the king was a principal guest. The newlyweds were given lodgings near the kings at court, which obviously would be a convenient way for Mary to slip away to be near the king. Perhaps Henry, um, who had already had an illegitimate son with Elizabeth Blount, thought it would be safer to have an affair with a married woman. Now, any children born from the romance could just be assumed to be the husband's rather than another illegitimate child whose existence only emphasized the king's lack of legitimate heirs. It's not known exactly when the romance ended and when Mary began to cohabitate with her husband, but royal grants to William Carey between 1522 and 1525 can be interpreted as recognition of his wife's status as the king's mistress. Likewise, the existence of a ship named the Mary Boleyn in 1523. Now, Mary Boleyn had two children, Catherine and Henry Carey. Mary's affair with Henry VIII lasted a few years, and like we said, between 1522 and 1525. This relationship has always caused speculation over the paternity of both Catherine and her brother Henry. Let me begin with Catherine Carey. There is no doubt that Catherine Carey was the daughter of Mary Boleyn, sister to the ill-fated Anne Boleyn. We know from Henry VIII himself that he slept with Mary Boleyn when he had said something to the effect of not the mother, only the sister, prior to his marriage to Anne Boleyn. If the affair lasted into 1525, it is plausible that Henry Carey was the son of the king. 
saying that Henry Carey was born on the 4th of March, 1526, suggests that his conception may have postdated the affair. Catherine Carey, on the other hand, is a different story. Her birth date fits within the allotted time, and in my opinion, it is more likely that she is Henry VIII's daughter. Looking at the one portrait we have of her, pregnant and all, with a cute little puppy, she looks very similar to both Elizabeth and Henry VIII. But with that being said, she was Elizabeth's first cousin on her mother's side, so it seems that she would look like her cousin. If we continue with Catherine Carey, we talk about how she married Francis Knowles in about 1540. Now, she was very close with her cousin Elizabeth, obviously who later became Elizabeth I, but their eldest, a daughter named Lettuce Knowles, was not so lucky. The two women appear to have been extremely competitive with one another, especially when it came to Robert Dudley. Lettuce Knowles was born on the 8th of November, 1543, at the Knowles House in Oxfordshire, and she was named after her grandmother, Letitia. When Lettuce was between, let's say, one to three years old, her father was the master of horse to Edward, Prince of Wales, and it was probably in those years that the close family relationship formed with Princess Elizabeth. From 1556 to 1558, during the reign of Queen Mary, the Knowles family escaped Catholic England with five of their children to Frankfurt due to the persecution of Protestants. Which of their children went to Frankfurt with them is uncertain. Some believe that Lettuce stayed behind in England at Hatfield House with her cousin Elizabeth. Upon the Knowles family return in January 1559, Francis Knowles was appointed vice chamberlain, his wife, one of the four ladies of the bedchamber. A year later, Lettuce married for the first time Walter Devereux, second Viscount Hereford, who was considered a nobleman and an adventurer. By 1561, a year after her marriage, Lettuce is found away from court at the principal Devereux house, where most of her five children with Walter were born. A few years later, at the age of 22, it appears that Lettuce was once again at court, serving her queen in some capacity. In September of that year, the Spanish ambassador was told that Robert Dudley had been paying court to the pregnant Lady Knowles, an employee to get Queen Elizabeth to marry him. Who supposedly told him this? I don't know. It honestly sounds like court gossip to me. Lettuce Knowles was thought to be one of the most beautiful ladies at Elizabethan court, so it should come as no surprise that she secretly married the dashing and charming Robert Dudley just two years after her first husband, Walter Devereux, died. Lettuce went on to have a very long life, and if you're interested in learning more about her, I highly recommend that you read Elizabeth's Rival by Nicola Tallis. It's a wonderful book, and you will learn so much about Lettuce Knowles. Our next question comes in from Rose, and Rose says, Henry VIII ordered that the walls, floors, and ceilings of Edward's apartments should be washed down several times a day. Wouldn't that create a damp and moldy environment? I thought stone was porous. Could that have affected the prince's health? This is always an interesting topic. Henry VIII was so paranoid about having his son die, as had the previous ones with Catherine of Aragon, that he went over the top in protecting him. Exposure to germs at a young age helps a child's body learn how to combat them. Henry was not willing to take any chances when it came to the life of England's heir. The king ordered that the prince should remain at Hampton Court Palace and be kept away from sickness and plague. He, obviously, 
He also ordered the building of a wash house there so that the walls, floors, and ceilings of Edward's apartments can be washed down several times a day. Anything that was at risk of the young prince to touch had to first be thoroughly cleaned. If we're talking about present-day sanitizing, it'd probably be like soaking everything in bleach. Well, maybe. I don't really know, but that's what I picture. <laughs> King Henry was serious about this whole realm's most precious jewel, which is what he called young Edward. He even limited the people who were allowed to visit his son. They were limited to those of the rank of knight or above. Those were also the people who could attend Edward. Anyone who came into close proximity of the prince had to be carefully cleaned. If they were sick or near people who were sick, they were not allowed near the prince. So I carefully perused WebMD because you know what happens when you go down that rabbit hole. They have an article called, Is Dirt Good for Kids? Question mark, obviously. Are parents keeping things too clean for their kids is good. So in that article, it said, quote, exposing infants to germs may offer them greater protection from illness such as allergies and asthma later on in life. And when exposure to parasites, bacteria and viruses is limited early in life, children face a greater chance of having allergies, asthma and other autoimmune diseases during adulthood. It's safe to say that Edward was kept from germs as a child, and it's a fact that he died at the age of 15. So to answer your question, Rose, in my opinion, for what it's worth, the excessive control over ridding germs in his infancy caused King Edward's early demise. In order to protect his legacy, King Henry VIII actually shortened the reign of what could have been an amazing Tudor king. When your questions came in about this Tudor power couple, I knew exactly who to ask. Sarah Bryson is the author of Lorena Blanche, Mary Tudor, A Life in Letters, and her upcoming book, In the Shadow of Kings, the story of four generations of Brandon men who lived and served England's kings. While logistics and poor planning on my part did not allow for audio answers from my guests this week, but I was able to have Sarah answer her questions all the way from Australia through the wonders of Facebook Messenger. Now, Pauline had asked, was Charles Brandon from an upper-class family, or did he come from a lower class and move his way up? Sarah says the short answer on this one is Brandon came from a middle-to-upper-class family. The next question, how long was it before Charles Brandon was welcomed back to court after marrying Henry's sister? Sarah says that Charles Brandon, who was the Duke of Suffolk and Mary Tudor, Dowager Queen of France, married early in the month of February and by May were welcomed back to court. During those waiting months in France, Mary wrote to her brother, the King of England, that, quote, I was contented to conform myself to your said motion, where she's referring to marrying the King of France, so that if I should fortune to survive the said late king, that I might, with your goodwill, marry myself at my liberty without your displeasure. Okay, she's reminding her brother about the conversation that they had about Mary being allowed to marry as she pleased if the French king should die before her. She said it so elegantly, too. I was contented to conform myself to your said motion. So beautiful. I'm going to start talking like that. In the letter, she also makes sure to mention that Charles Brandon had long, quote, held her heart and that the marriage was all her idea. Mary was amazing. She knew exactly how to play the game and to ensure the end result was in her favor. Next question. 
was Henry is mad, as history has said, when he found out that Charles married his sister without permission. Sarah Bryson pointed out to me that before Charles Brandon arrived in Paris to retrieve Mary, two friars were sent from England to change Mary's mind about marrying him. Clearly, it was known that they were in love, and Mary loved him so much that she would not change her mind for anyone. Sarah Bryson says that Henry wasn't as mad as it's commonly portrayed. It had all been staged to look like he was furious because, let's be honest, the king had to show power. He couldn't show that his sister disobeyed him. As Bryson pointed out, the king always had to look like he came out on top. Now, Maya said, what was most likely the cause of Mary Tudor's death? Is it historically accurate that she had pains in her side? To answer that question, I must start with a letter that was shared in Lorena Blanche. It's from Mary, and she's explaining to her brother that, quote, has been very sick and ill at ease, has been fain to send for Dr. Peter, the physician, but is rather worse than better. And she hopes that seeing her brother will improve her health. It was actually Charles Brandon who referenced the pain in Mary's side in a letter to Wolsey, where he apologizes for not attending court. Now, Brandon wrote, quote, The French queen hath had, and yet hath, divers physicians with her for her old disease in her side, and as yet cannot be perfectly restored to her health. There is the reference to her side, quote, A disease in her side. What it was, we don't know. But many have speculated either tuberculosis or cancer. Our next question is from Nora about Henry VIII's fifth wife, Queen Catherine Howard. She asked, did Cat Howard really send Margaret Pole warm clothes while she, Margaret, was in the tower? So the short answer to your question, Nora, is we don't know. But here's what we do know, and maybe from that you can form your own opinion. In November 2017, I did a podcast series on Queen Catherine Howard. I don't know if you remember that one. If not, go check it out. During that research period, I learned a lot about her life and court intrigues at the time. Now, here's what I learned. On the 1st of March, 1541, there's a reference in council notes about Margaret Pole, Countess of Salisbury, who was in the Tower of London. In the notes, it states that the council ordered the Queen's tailor to make a nightgown furred actually two of them, a kirtle worsted, which is a woolen kirtle, um, a petticoat furred, and four other items, a bonnet, four pair of shoes, four pair of hose, and pair of slippers. Now, this is interesting because Margaret Pohl had made complaints about the cold in the tower. While some have believed that the note meant that the queen ordered the items to be made for Margaret, there's honestly no evidence of that. What is more likely is that King Henry had made the recommendation because at the same time, the king ordered clothing for his illegitimate uncle, Arthur Plantagenet, Lord Lyle. To me, it appears that Henry was behind the decision. And that's where we'll end it this week. Thank you so much for joining me. Until next time. Thanks for checking out the Tudor's Dynasty podcast. Read more. Read more on the blog at TudorsDynasty.com. Follow Tudor's Dynasty on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to Tudor's Dynasty on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Wait a second. You didn't think I'd actually forget to thank my patrons, did you? It's because of these wonderful people that this show is commercial-free, and without their generosity, it would not exist. 
If you'd like to become a patron of my podcast, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Tudor's Dynasty and click become a patron. For as little as a dollar per month, you can show your support. With that, thank you to my newcomers, Stacey C. and Angela G., Mary J., Heidi, Christopher, Jennifer, Shelby, Sari, Sue, Johanna, Doris, Courtney, Bob, Diana, Rachel, Michelle, Lacey, Diane, Kathy, Katie, Joy, James, Anne, Azaria, Lisa, Nora, Sarah, Wendy, Mary T., Cynthia, Melissa, Nikki, Cheryl, Carrie, Tanya, Donna, Catherine, Jen, Lara, Megan, Pat, and Heather from the English Renaissance History Podcast. Thanks again for joining me this week. Until next time. <laughs>